to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of the estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all of his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard the music and dancing in the house and asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. Let's take a moment to pray together this morning. Gracious God, we thank you for your words of wisdom, for your words of truth. 
We pray that as we explore what these words mean in our lives, how, how your treasured scripture applies to us right now, right here. God, we pray that you would make your words real to us, that you would make them applicable to us, that they would fall on our hearts in a way that brings about life change, that brings about closer relationship with you, Lord. Father, in this world, there is a great, great amount of suffering. Lord, for those that are still very much walking through this tragedy uh, in Texas, we pray, Father, that you would, you would bring your peace, that you would bring calm, that you would bring hope out of a hopeless tragedy. We pray that you would walk with teachers, that you would walk with students who, whenever something like this happens, Lord, question their own safety. God, we pray that you would protect them. We pray that your peace would abound. Father, for those in our congregation that are going through something else, we pray, God, that you would walk with them, that they would feel your presence, that they would feel your peace, and that they would know that they have a family here and in heaven that loves them dearly. God, for those that are rejoicing, I know there were many graduations this weekend. For those that are rejoicing at, as if one stage of life ends and a new stage of life begins, we just pray that you would walk with them, that you would give them wisdom, that you would give them hope, that you would give them joy for the future, God, and that you would give them clarity of thought as they move forward. God, thank you for your words, for your truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we are continuing on in our only God series this morning, and I want to start off by asking you a question. Have you ever lost something that was precious to you? Think about it in your head. Have you ever lost something that was precious to you? Well, I did. Uh, the summer of 2017, I was actually in the midst of interviewing to come here to North River, and my family and I were uh, camping on the Cape and we spent one day at Scusset Beach, and silly me, I took off my wedding rings. <laughs> and I placed them where I thought was safely in the pocket of this sun shelter that we have. That's, this photo is actually, I, I posted about this later on. Um, and this, this you can find on my Facebook page, the whole story is there from 2017. I placed them in this pocket. I thought they were safe. We packed up to leave, and I realized I did not have my rings. My heart sank. <laughs> I was not okay at all. And, um, you know, we started searching through the sand, but of course I was afraid to continue searching because I knew that as we, you know, moved the sand around and upset the sand, that those rings were probably going to get deeper and deeper into the sand. So we stopped. And I prayed with everything that I had inside of me. And the Lord God gave me a miracle. I said, Rich, please go see if someone with the park service has a, a metal detector. And he starts to walk up the ramp, and there's this girl walking down the ramp with a metal detector. What are the odds, people? <laughs> right? What are the odds? So she comes down, and she agrees to help us. 
And there's like this, I don't know, 10 by 20 foot area we are trying to search through and trying not to disturb the sand any further. And this woman, bless her, gave us half an hour and we did not find those rings. And she said, I'll make one last pass because I just feel so bad. And wouldn't you know it, in that last pass when we were about to give up all hope, and I was, in my head, I had the whole conversation of, they're just rings, they're not your marriage, that's not the important thing. Like, I had, you know, I had done the big girl thing and, like, talked myself through it and off the ledge. And in that last pass, we hear beep, 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 beep. And she scoops, and probably four, five, six inches down, she scoops up those rings, and there they were, and I have them back, and I will never take them off of the beach ever, ever, ever again. <laughs> yeah, it was a miracle. But let me tell you, as I processed losing, to me, what was one of the most important, precious parts of my life, my heart just sank. I was beside myself. And so to find them, I was, I was crying. Rich might have shed a tear. I don't know. We were, we were both pretty excited that these had been found. And that's what we're talking about today. Our big idea for this morning, the whole point of this message is this. Only God would search relentlessly to bring people who are lost into his kingdom. And only God would rejoice and welcome them when they return. Only God. But before we can fully understand that, we need to understand one thing. All of these passages talk about something being returned, right? That it was lost and then it was found or it was returned. The son returns back to the father. If this is going to make sense, we must all first understand that we are all lost. And even when we return to God or we're found, we often continue to lose our way. We are all lost, and we often continue to lose our way. And so this starts in Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, you find that it's the story of creation. Genesis 1 brings us through the creation of the heavens and the earth. And God creates people. He creates Adam and Eve, and he calls them good. He calls his creation good. And he rests from his work. And then in Genesis 2, we get into more detail of the creation of Adam and Eve and who they were and this paradise that they get to live in in Eden and how they get to walk with the Lord daily. It was, a, it was a normal part of creation. It was the way that God intended things to be. And then in Genesis 3, pretty quickly here in the Bible, Adam and Eve given choice given free will because our God wants a people, a children who choose to love him, who are not robotic, who are not forced, who are not coerced into that relationship, into love. Given the choice, Adam and Eve mess it all up. <laughs> they choose to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in doing so, 
they go against what God has commanded. And they break this relationship in this beautiful thing that they have going. They find shame. God curses the land and curses them. And they're kicked out of this beautiful paradise of Eden. You move into Genesis 4 and you find the first murder. So people are still choosing this path of, ooh, Cain murders his brother Abel. Genesis 5 goes through a list of descendants. Genesis 6 tells us that humans are so full of evil at this point, generations on down the road. They're so full of evil. They're so prone to just making these terrible choices because, again, we have free will. That God's ready to just wipe it all out. He's ready to wipe it all out. But he does note that there's one one family worth saving. And so he doesn't wipe it all out. But he saved Noah and his family. In Genesis 7, the world is flooded, all but Noah and his family, and the animals two by two on that ark. Don't ask me how that worked. We just know it did. Genesis 8, God begins again with Noah and the ark. Hopeful. He has this covenant with the rainbow saying that he's never going to destroy the earth again. But here's the thing. If any of you have read any of the Old Testament at all, ever, <laughs> what does humanity do with our choice? We continue down the same path of, of evil and poor choices and atrocities against one another. We hurt and harm one another consistently. And we, we rebel and we push against and we rail against what God has for us and what he intends for us and what he wanted his creation to be. We were created in his image and yet we forsake it all of the time. Why would God even want <laughs> to redeem such terrible people why would God even want that at this point? Now, the Bible's full of a lot of examples that, that point out where we have kind of, we're not making the mark here. Where we have to understand that we are lost and we are in need of being found or we are in need of returning. And the most poignant verse in the Bible that I, that I think describes this as found in Romans. It's Romans 3.23. It says, For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. We all. Every single one of us born in history, we have all fallen short of God's glorious standard. And now I think you often come across two different types of, of people, and there, there's lots of people in between, but there's two kind of extreme sides to this. There are those that believe, but I'm good. <laughs> Look at all the things I do. I volunteer. I work with children. I sing in the choir. I do the things. I serve on whichever committee. I do all of these wonderful things. I'm so much better than so-and-so. I didn't, I, I'm certainly way better than that. God's going to look at me and think I'm great. So we have that extreme. And we also have the other end of the spectrum where there are those of us that know full well 
that we're sinful. And we wonder, how could God ever redeem someone like me? He doesn't want me. He can't have me. I'm, not, I'm never going to be good enough. I can't ever live up to that standard. And so we have these two, these two camps. And if there are any of you in this room this morning that fall in either of those camps, and then the rest of us probably fall somewhere in between, I'm speaking to all of us this morning. I'm speaking to all of us this morning. It's important to understand that we're all in the same boat. No matter how much good we do, no matter how much money we donate into what charity, no matter how sinful we have been, no matter what crimes we have committed that we think are unforgivable, we're all in the same boat. This scale, this sliding scale doesn't exist to God. We have all sinned and fallen short of his glorious standard. We have all been lost at some point in our lives, and we are all in need of being found or returning back to Christ. Only God would search relentlessly to bring people who are lost into his kingdom, and only God would rejoice and welcome them when they return. Who of us could offer that kind of forgiveness and pursuit? Because it's not just forgiveness. There's a pursuit involved. There's a desire by God to have us back to have us into his kingdom, to know Jesus and to be found by him. How many of us in our relationships where we have been betrayed and we have been betrayed and we have been betrayed and we have been betrayed have that kind of compassion that we're going to pursue that person? Not me. <laughs> Only God. Only God. God searches for us, and he longs for us to be found and to be in right relationship with him. And Luke 15, the entirety of Luke 15, it's pretty much what we just read, is making that point very clear. So when we see something grouped together like this, and now we don't know for sure that Jesus spoke all three of these parables right in order. He may have. Or if the author, Luke, placed them that way. But either way, when you see something like this thematically grouped together in the Bible, the author is trying to say, listen up, <laughs> this is so important, you need to hear this. And what's interesting is, is that unlike some of Jesus' other parables where he lays out the parable and then you're left to go, I wonder what exactly he meant by that? It's clear. Heaven rejoices. Heaven rejoices when, a, when one sinner repents. Jesus makes it clear. So this is very, very important, what he's trying to say to us. So we're going we're gonna to break this down a little bit further. God is the shepherd, does not hesitate to leave behind those that are doing okay and go get the one who could be swallowed up whole by a predator, who could be left for injury and starvation and death and goes and gets them. The one sheep matters, even though there's 99 more. And, and that shepherd could be perfectly satisfied with those 99. There'll be more sheep. But he makes the effort to go and to find the one. God is represented by the woman who looks for the coin. She stops everything. 
And it tells us that there was a careful search, that nothing was left unturned in her home, that a, that a lamp is lit and she looks everywhere. The scriptures, she doesn't just say, oh, well, it's gone. I'll make do with what I have. I'll make do with the nine that I have. It's just gone. No, she says, it says, won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? It is a careful, particular, purposeful search for that coin. And then you have God as the father of the son. And this is a little bit different than the sheep and the coin because the son willfully walks away. He willfully walks away and he is lost. He loses everything. And the thing that's interesting is that the father doesn't stop him. The father allows him to walk away. And my iPad just crashed. <laughs> Technology. If you have an extra copy, paper copy back there, you can read to me. The father allows the son to just willfully walk away. He doesn't stop him. He respects his desire and his will to keep going. God does that with us as well. If we choose to walk away, he lets that happen. Thank you. Only God would search relentlessly to bring people who are lost in this kingdom. And only God would rejoice and welcome them back when they return. That son, when he walked away, was basically saying, I would rather you were dead so I could have what is mine or what I consider to be mine. I mean, how many of us can find forgiveness in that? Did you catch the rejoicing that occurs in each of these passages as we read it earlier? There's rejoicing when the sheep is found. It says, when he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and have not strayed. And with the coin, it says, when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me because I have found my last coin. Rejoice! And in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels, even when one sinner repents. And we find the same joy even with the son, even with the son who said, I'd rather you were dead. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his staff we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And so the party began. God rejoices when we return back to him. It doesn't matter that we said we wished that he were dead. It doesn't matter that we've taken this inheritance and that we've squandered it away. If you are a follower of Christ and you have turned away, he rejoices. He rejoices when you return.
the curse of sin was something that we chose. Adam and Eve had a choice back in the garden. We have a choice even now. We still have a choice. We can choose to live in a way that honors God, or we can choose not to. And God has not given up on us. He's not given up on our free will because he still desires that we choose him in return. But here's the thing. It pains him. If you don't think that it pains him, it does. And he paid the ultimate price for that, right? Through his son, through the giving of his son Jesus and the sacrifice that that was. So it was interesting as I was going through these, it was really the first time that I noticed something a little bit different. The sheep, the sheep is an animal. The sheep doesn't necessarily know any better than to wander away, right? I got, I got this information from the, uh, the really technical farming website, SavvyFarmLife.com. <laughs> sheep may stray from the flock if they sense dangers approaching. This can cause them to blindly run away <laughs> to avoid what is frightening them. Sheep may also stray simply to satisfy their curiosity <laughs> or because they are not paying attention while grazing. Sheep aren't very smart, and they often don't willfully move away from the flock that is protecting them from predators. The coin is an inanimate object. It did not will itself to become lost. It was just lost. It doesn't have the ability to know that it's lost. And the woman seeks after this coin until it's found. But the son is different, right? We've talked about this. The son willfully walks away. The son's made a choice to leave his father. But here's the thing. The son chooses to return. When we've walked away, we have a God who is waiting with arms open wide, who is going to run to us, to embrace us, and to kiss us. Do not believe the lie that we are tempted to believe when we have sinned, that God doesn't want us, that we are not good enough. You're right, you're not good enough, but Jesus made you good enough. Jesus is always the one who makes you good enough. And so God will always open his arms wide and welcome you back. He desires that. How many of you have read or watched The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? From the Chronicles of Narnia. Okay, many of you. This is one of my most favorite books of all time. C.S. Lewis is, is an incredible theologian. If you write anything written by him, you will be blessed. But we often look at the Chronicles of Narnia as being children's stories. And in fact, I read them all when I was in fourth grade. That was the first time I read them. And so, yes, they are, but there's so much truth in them. So much truth in them. And so we have in this story these four children who are swept to this place called Narnia. And there's this prophecy that these four children are going to restore this kingdom. And it's going to be a beautiful kingdom. And the four of them are going to reign together. And the one who is in charge is Aslan. And Aslan is this lion. And Aslan in this story represents God. Right now in Narnia, as you enter, there's this evil snow witch. She's made everything dull. She's made everything cold in winter. 
There's no peace. There's no joy. There's no happiness. It's just dull and cold. It's like the sin that's entered our world. It's like the sin that dulled the Garden of Eden, the paradise that we once walked in with God. And so these four children are supposed to come and restore it to what it was originally intended to be. But here's the thing. One of them meets the queen and, and he believes her lies. Why? Because in his heart, Edmund wants to be special. He wants to be the one with power. He lusts after having all of the things and being looked at as the one with honor. He wants to be raised up. He doesn't want to share it. Does this sound familiar? Don't we often want to be the ones lifted up? Don't we often get tempted by the bigger house or the bigger boat or the better job, sometimes at the expense of what God has called us into? Not always. Those things aren't bad, not even in and of themselves. And to be in power is not bad in and of itself. But Edmund, Edmund gets tempted by this queen realizes his mistake, and Aslan searches for Edmund. And he's finally rescued from the evil queen's clutches. And when he's rescued, Aslan has a conversation with him. We don't know exactly what's said in the conversation, but Aslan comes to the other three children, and he says, we don't need to talk about this anymore. What's done is done. Edmund is fully accepted back into the plan and the place that, or, that Aslan had for him, that God had for him. He's forgiven. And not only that, but Aslan ends up paying the ultimate price for Edmund. And here's the thing. Edmund thought that he was going to gain a kingdom when he went with the white witch. He believed that there was going to be this beautiful kingdom and that he was going to be in charge, forgetting that the kingdom that Aslan had already promised him was so much better. It was so much fuller. It was so much richer and beautiful. And in the end, Narnia is restored, and this place of honor that Edmund had desired was given to him in the right way and freely given, because now... He's in his rightful place. Church, that is us. We have a God who will chase us down, as the song we just sang says. He'll chase us down, and he longs to restore us to something that is beautiful that was meant to be at the beginning of creation. All we have to do is turn away from this pale comparison. Come back to his loving arms. Now, whether that's you for the first time coming to Jesus, you're like the sheep or the coin, you didn't know you were lost. And you're just hearing that. Or that's you, someone who's committed their lives to Jesus, 
and you've strayed a little bit, maybe willfully or not, but you're realizing it, you have a God who is willing to embrace you and love you and welcome you back because only God, guys, only God would search this relentlessly to bring people who are lost into his kingdom. And only God would rejoice and welcome them back when they return. Only God. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for the ways that you have blessed us. I thank you that you will stop at nothing to return your children to you. God, I pray that you would fill us with your presence this morning as we go out into the world, and I pray that you would give us opportunities to speak to those who, who have been lost and they don't even know it. God, may your Holy Spirit guide us in those conversations. God, we thank you and praise you now for your son and his sacrifice, allowing that to be possible. And we look forward to the day when all things will be restored. In Jesus' name, amen.